I'm Andrea Worley, and you're listening to the Flourish Together podcast, episode four, with Cassandra Spear. Welcome, everybody, to the Flourish Together podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Worley. Today's episode, I have Cassandra Spear with me, and she blogs at Spear and Arrows. Um, Hello, Cassandra. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, friend. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad, too. So we are instant internet friends because my husband is from Oklahoma, and you guys live in Oklahoma, and her son's first name is Everett and that is my son's middle name. So I feel like we are already best friends forever. (laughs) Yes. So I wanted to have you on the podcast because I, I told you this before, but I heard you on another podcast interview and I just really loved your testimony and your story. Um, and so I wanted to have you on and I wanted you Um, to share a little bit about that or as much as you want uh, with your story and your testimony. I was telling, um, for the listeners, I was telling Cassandra before we started recording that part of her story is with high-risk pregnancy and um, having a child in the NICU and just dealing with all the feelings, thoughts, and emotions that come with all of those things. And I feel like as a culture and even as women that we don't share enough about our experiences and our stories with that. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit of that and just encourage uh, maybe the women that are listening, uh, maybe in their own, wherever they're at, their own struggle or their own story as well. So I'm going to let you talk a little bit and share your story with everybody. Okay. Where shall I begin? Um, Well, with high-risk pregnancy comes lots of different obstacles. Um, For myself, I have had, it was my third pregnancy in particular that um, my son was in the NICU. And each pregnancy that I had had beforehand um, had a complication, but was never quite as expensive and they were term babies. And so as a third time mama, I kind of, you know, wrongly felt like I had this whole thing in a bag and I knew what I was doing. And I was, you know, kind of blindsided and surprised because towards the, I'd say I was 26 weeks pregnant with Everett, um, which is our little boy. And I went to the doctor's office and I normally have low to normal blood pressure. Previous pregnancy, I had had gestational diabetes. My first pregnancy and my second, I had preeclampsia like the last week and a half, if at all. Um, So it was very minor, um, not to downplay either one of those situations. Um, But with my third pregnancy, it just kind of escalated fast and furious. And at 26 weeks, I went from having normal to low blood pressure to having high blood pressure and climbing. And I started having um, protein in my urine, which I just said pee on a podcast. That just happened. Most of us are moms. So we all acknowledge that 
that's just a part of the gig. And the doctor started to be concerned because for someone who has normal blood pressure, it was really concerning to have the protein there too. So he decided to put me on bed rest. At the time I was doing hair, which I've been a hair and makeup artist in two different states for up almost 12 years now. And my husband was working in Oklahoma. Um, we had just gone through the process of him switching careers. And we were in the process of selling our house. And I was suddenly hit with bed rest. And when my doctor had said that to me, I kind of laughed at him, which I know him pretty well. And he's a really sweet, God-fearing man, but he does not he doesn't make jokes. And so when I laughed at him, when he told me bed rest, he looked at me very sternly and said, I mean it. (laughs) Like for real though, you need to do this. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do bed rest on my terms is basically what I had decided in my mind. Cause realistically I have, at the time I had a three-year-old and a almost two-year-old. And so I was like, okay, you got it, doc. I'm going to, I'm going to take it easy. So instead of doing multiple clients all day, I was, you know, cutting it back to maybe like one or two people a day and everybody knew that I was moving anyways. So my books were like super stacked and I was doing everything in my own power at that point in time. And when I, I basically the word bed rest was on deaf ears at that point in time, because I felt like I had it under control and I could do things how I wanted to do things. Um, not intentionally being reckless, but not understanding fully the gravity of the high risk situation that I was dealing with. Then you fast forward about not even a week and a half. And I had a little shindig, not necessarily a baby shower, but it was just a um, very close, close few friends celebrating Everett's soon arrival. And I got home after that baby shower and I was getting dinner out of the crock pot and I felt like a train literally had hit me. And I've never felt that kind of debilitating pain. Like I literally, I started to like kind of see black spots and I felt really, really uneasy. I couldn't really even stand or walk right. And I got really scared. And my best friend's mom was taking care of me and stopping by to check on me while I was on my version of bed rest. And she had left me a blood pressure cuff, which thank God she did. And I checked my blood pressure and it was like astronomical. It was really bad. And I think it was like 190 or something, 180 on the top number. And I called her up and I called my mother-in-law and I said, hey guys, not a big deal. But I kind of am seeing black spots and I can't function. My head hurts really bad. Can someone come stay with the girls so I can go to the hospital real quick? So I left and I went to the hospital and I'm praying on my way there. My mother-in-law drives me there because, again, I'm not, I'm so stubborn and I don't realize how bad this is already. And I get to the hospital. My mother-in-law drives me there. She's insistent on taking me and we get there and the doctor's like hey I just saw you didn't I tell you to be on bed rest yeah you did um about that I tried and it's hard 
which is kind of how life is for me. <laughs> and so sometimes you have to learn things the hard way and learn that you're not in control. Um, that night, the doctor had to give me medicine to get my blood pressure down. Kept me overnight for a day and a half for monitoring. And he also, this, I think this is the moment that reality truly hit me is when they started talking to me about delivering Everett. And until that point, not to sound lackadaisical about it, but I was, I am painfully optimistic. And I, I really had to bring myself out of the clouds and into reality and get grounded for a moment of my baby is possibly coming now at 26 or almost 27 weeks at that point in time. And the doctor said, you know, we need to give you a shot for his lungs. We need to make sure that they're prepared. We're going to have to deliver you any, any day now if you continue with this blood pressure like this. Mind you, this was after like a baby shower situation. This was not a stressful day. It was such a fun day. It was very easygoing. And my dinner was out of a crock pot. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm taking it easy. But I was not in bed because I did not want to rest. And I was resisting rest. And it's really funny because, you know, I look back at it now and I realize how tenderly God dealt with me in that because it would have been really easy for me. And it was at certain points in time as the situation progressed where I wanted to blame myself. But I look back now and I realize that there was really nothing I could have done, period. And that's a lot of situations. I think that can apply to a lot of different people. Um, as far as our bodies, sometimes they fail us, you know, and it doesn't mean that you failed or that you're a failure. It means that we live in a broken world. Um, and so as that progressed in that night, he had given us steroid shots forever. And he said, here's how I'm looking at this. You are preclamptic. You are dealing with stroke level blood pressure. And every day that you have with Everett as an incubator, you're basically incubating. And like when I said bed rest, that's exactly what I meant. Let me be more clear about what I was telling you. You need to never leave your bed unless you're using the restroom. I don't necessarily want you even to get up to go get yourself something to drink. And that's when I understood bed rest really means being in your bed. With that being said, I was discharged and I had had the steroid shots and I was seeing my doctor twice weekly. And he had said every time I came to see him, it progressed for about four weeks, seeing him twice weekly. Every time I saw him, um, nothing was getting better yet, but it wasn't worsening. He put me on blood pressure medicine that caused me to be so lightheaded that I couldn't even stand up in the shower. So it was, it was keeping it under control, but it was causing me really to struggle to do basic things. And having two little girls that are toddlers and my husband working in Oklahoma, I was really forced to rely on the body to be the hands and feet of the church and my friends and just really the kindness of a 
you know, a mom from mops, people that I never really thought, um, I don't know. I just, I, I have a hard time asking for help. And in that situation, it was just offered to me left and right. And it was very humbling. And, you know, I just kind of want to cry. think talking about it just because it was such a rush of support from people in a way that I've never experienced before. Um, especially because we were selling our house in that whole process and having like showings of the house while I'm on bed <laughs> and like kind of going to different places. So um, it was just kind of comedic the way it all plan planned out, played out. Um, my husband was about five hours away during this, but I wasn't ever alone, which is so, so amazing that even in the moments where I felt stranded to an island on a mattress, not able to go anywhere, not to see anybody, um, God was still there with me and I had support from people that are just amazing and were so great to take my kids to school and to bring us meals and to make sure that I kept my stubborn self in bed. Um, and so four weeks go by, I go to the doctor and I, you know, I'm kind of blanking here. <laughs> I got to the doctor and my blood pressure was really bad. And he sent me over to the, the labor and delivery area. And it was, an, it was a routine visit because, like I said, it had been going on for four weeks. I'd seen him twice a week. And he said, okay, I'm not liking this. You're having protein in your urine again. You need to go back. So I'm going to send you over to labor and delivery, and we're going to do this, this, and this, and make sure that everything's okay. He sends me home again after that. So this is the second visit to labor and delivery and then being sent home. At this point, I'm laughing with the nurses. They recognize me. I'm like, hey, it's me again. Still cooking that baby just let me know when I can go home. So they send me home and I get to the house and I start to feel really bad again. Literally like it was Friday that I had my routine checkup. He sent me to labor and delivery. I was okay. He sent me home. And then it was Monday, I believe. No, it was Sunday night because I remember I, I, I was supposed to have another visit with him again within like two days. And I'd just been at labor and delivery and I had so much anxiety because I had called that weekend and talked to a nurse and I think she thought I was a first time mom or something because when I was calling, I was concerned and she was like, you know, are you in labor? Are you this? Are you that? Are you, she's like, you're probably fine. Like you don't need to come up here. And I got kind of frustrated because I knew that I wasn't fine. And I probably, you know, it's silly to look back at that and feel frustrated with somebody who was just on the other line doing their job. But I was so overwhelmed and freaked out. And I just wanted to have an answer. Like, is everything okay? And they couldn't tell me that. They just said, you know, you're probably fine. Just stay home and we'll see you on your regular appointment date. Um, talked to my sister-in-law, told her what was going on, took my blood pressure was really high. And I said, but I'm not, I'm not blacking out. I'm not seeing spots. I'm functioning. My head hurts a little bit, but not super bad. And she said, you still need to go in. I'm going to take you. So she took me against my will, against what I, my plan was. And she, she was right. 
it was bad. My gut was right. It was bad. And the doctor came in and he's like, you know, every day that I saw you, I knew that there was no explanation for the fact that you were still pregnant, but God, because every day that you've stayed pregnant with this level of high blood pressure and headaches, it has been a miracle. Like it's, it's completely against the odds. It's not what I really literally was prepared to deliver you at 26 and a half. And you have made it to 32 and I think it was 32 and two. So it was like 26 to 32. And he had said, you know, here's the deal. You're going to have to deliver this baby because it's got so dangerous for you. And I have, my job is to make sure that I, I deliver both of you out of there safely. And if I let this continue and I send you home, I can't guarantee that's going to happen. So that was really scary. And my husband was in Oklahoma. And I just, I prayed about it and I called him and I said, um, we're having Everett. He's going to try to put me in natural labor. So you might have some time to travel here. Um, and I'm not sure if natural labor is going to work. They're going to try their best, but if not, it's going to end up in a C-section. So you're going to need some time off. And he had just started his new job in Oklahoma and his superiors were so understanding and he came on his way. He got to Texas in just enough time. We had tried to induce labor and we couldn't. Um, during that whole process, I felt an overwhelming amount of peace, a lot more peace than I thought I would ever have when it comes to something like that. And four weeks of bed rest doesn't sound like a long time until you're doing it. And endless naps sound like a good idea until you have no other option. And I kind of got to a place where I was at the end of myself and I was just, I felt peace with the outcome regardless of what was going to happen. That doesn't mean I wasn't afraid of what if, but I felt like even if you're still good. And that's kind of where I was at in that point. Um, my husband made it there in just enough time for me to um, be told that I was having a C-section and that I wasn't going to be able to deliver naturally, which is like a shock to my system. For all you C-section mamas, really any mama out there that delivers a human being through your body, like you are a warrior and I just, you have all of my respect. But I was not prepared for a C-section when I didn't have the mentality to prepare, like I never, I'm a researcher and like I read up on things in my mind. I had it made up that I wasn't going to need a C-section because I've already delivered naturally twice. And then it happened. And he's like, Oh, you're the next one in line. Um, we're going to prepare you for surgery. This is what we're doing. And I was like, okay, all right, man. So it took him a little bit of time. He was with his other, um, his other patients and my husband had just barely made it in the nick of time. And I literally, like, Jehovah nick of time is how I feel. Like, literally just barely made it. And we prayed together. I had some worship music on. And they rolled me in. And it was one of those things where when, <laughs> this is a random fact, but my best friend works in the NICU 
one of my dearest friends works in the NICU at that hospital, but she was out of town. She was in Alabama visiting her family and she drove. She didn't tell me this because I already had enough blood pressure issues, <laughs> but she drove all the way from Alabama to Texas that day, knowing that I was likely going to end up in a C-section. She let me believe I wasn't because oh, she's a nice friend and let me be in denial. <laughs> and she drove all the way from Alabama, showed up in her street clothes. I'm on the table. Um, I already like have this gown over like this sheet over where I can't see anything. And it's just like the unknown is happening on the other side of the sheet and I can't feel anything. And I'm trying really hard to focus on my worship music and I'm trying to focus on my baby's going to be okay. I'm okay. Like I'm trying to like get all comfortable with what's going down, which is nothing comfortable about what was going down at all for me. And in walks this person who I assume is just another staff member and it's my friend and she has her mask on. She's in her street clothes and she just had this mask on and I looked up and I recognized her eyes <laughs> and I was like, Hey, you're here. And she's like, everything's going to be okay. And I don't know why, but I believed her, you know, and it was one of those things where she didn't have to do that, but she did. And it was kind of like a God wink of like, your husband's there. You have a great, your husband made it in time. You have an amazing doctor who's been watching you really closely. And one of your very best friends is here. And this is what they do with their lives. And everyone's here. You're going to be fine. I'm here. I'm in it. I'm within it. I've orchestrated this for this moment. It's not the time that you planned. It's not what you had in mind. It's not how you wanted it to go. But this is what's happening. And I was just cool with it. You know, <laughs> there's no other way to say, like, I didn't have an option. I was cool with it. And I was at peace with it. And everybody in the room was like smiling. And um, it was the happiest operating room. I, I mean, I've only been in two operating rooms, but my friend jokingly told me it was the happiest operating room she's ever been in. Like everyone in there was really smiley and that tense atmosphere wasn't there. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, and, you know, honestly, Everett was born. <laughs> he arrived April 24th, 2018, 32-weeker, tiny little thing. He was four pounds and two ounces. Um, he dipped down to three pounds, eight ounces um, right afterwards. And he was in the NICU for 45 days. And my husband was there for the delivery. And he had to return to work two and a half days later or three days later. So it was just one of those things. Or he had burned up what, what little leave he had earned in that short period of time of working there after he relocated and he had to go back and I understood that being a prior military wife I just you know I understood that's what needed to happen and that's where he needed to be and God had it all covered all of it that doesn't mean that it was easy and it doesn't mean that I didn't struggle or have doubt or fear or frustration but even though things weren't feeling good or looking good, God was still infinitely good. 
and I had a healthy baby and that was good. And I made it out of that delivery room. That is good. And so it, it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't the, the plan that I had in mind, but it was God's plan and he was sovereign over it and he overseed all of it. Um, the time in the NICU was probably, definitely, probably definitely one of the hardest things I've ever went through as a mother, as a human being, and as a wife in a marriage that was difficult, especially with him being five hours away and seeing each other once every other week when he would come home. And during that time, I started to write during my bed rest. And it wasn't necessarily intentionally written to be public as much as it was a update for my friends and my family because I basically fell off the planet <laughs> and canceled on, I literally did, I fell off the planet. I canceled on all of my clients who knew we were moving. They knew our house was being sold and under contract. Like people were booking six weeks in advance to get their hair done. And I was just dipped. I dipped out of everybody, everything. I mean, I explained a little bit, but I guess when you're in a, I don't want to be dramatic and say it was like a traumatic experience, but when you're faced with something so hard, it was really hard to let everybody know everything all at once. And so I just kind of wrote a tiny little ditty about resisting arrest and talked about that and how I felt like God was teaching me through that process um, that my desire to be in control is not his desire for me. How um, loving and tender he is with my weakness to want to be stubborn and in control of all things, including my uterus and pregnancy. Um, and I just, I was just telling everybody how it was. I just was let it, laying it out there, giving them an update of why I've disappeared, what's going on, and what I felt like God was doing through that bed rest. And I just continued to do that after Everett was born because I spent a ton of time in the NICU. Um, there, there was times where, I mean, the majority of the time he couldn't come out, but once every three hours for 30 minutes. And he couldn't suck, swallow, and breathe on his own. And the agony and the frustration of seeing your child in pain but having no control over the situation um, was unbearable, but it wasn't my burden to bear. For me, it was very comforting, um, not to get too preachy on it, but it was very comforting to know that the same God who was watching there in that moment and heard me was very acquainted with my pain because he himself had watched. Sorry. It's okay. I'm trying to think of a way to say it where it doesn't want to make me cry. It's way easier to write it than it is to say it because I don't have to like face another person. 
but that same God who was watching me, listening to the barricardia and the alarms and the just the whole concept of these machines are keeping him alive for weeks on end and not being able to pick him up whenever I wanted to was really hard. And knowing that the fact that I was having a hard time knowing that my child was in pain and that there wasn't anything that I could do to stop it or control it, that that same God was very acquainted with that pain because he watched him, his own son in pain for my, for my life, for my own, my own undoing the things that I've done. And it just brought things, his, his love as a father brought things to a place and in a perspective that I've never even, I still don't even think I completely grasp it, but it was such a comfort to know that whatever I was dealing with in that moment, it wasn't unheard of or unbeknownst to him because he himself had walked through that and willingly. And so there's that. (laughs) I love that you said, just listening to you, I love that you said, you know, even though you had this high risk pregnancy and you had, you know, just even just the life changes of, like you said, a husband that was out of state working, but yet you had kids at home and you you were trying to sell your house and you were going through all the things of relocation and moving and being pregnant and still being a wife and mom. And in the chaos of all those things, God is still good. And, and I feel like that's a message that we all need to hear, men, women, all of us need to hear that in the midst of whatever you're going through, whether it, it's a high-risk pregnancy or whatever, that God is still good. And, you know, sometimes there is the chaos of life. There is the unexpected. And mm-hmm. God is still in those messy, unknown situations just as much as he's in the situations where everything is fine, you know, or the day is good. He's still in that too. Yes. Yes. Or even, especially I, through that process, when I started becoming more open writing wise, um, it was more so therapeutic for me um, and healing for me. But people would tell me, you know, oh my gosh, you're so strong, which is really edifying. But it wasn't my strength. It was my weakness that he was made strong. And it wasn't that I could do hard things and I pulled myself up by the bootstraps because I was a sloppy hot mess through all of that. Anybody who knows me on a personal basis will know, like I was a mess. I was a mess, but it wasn't that I could do hard things. It's that God works in the hard things and that he, he is not absent in those hard things. And it's just one of those things where It's amazing to me, no matter what we go through and no matter what trial or triumph it is, that God's in and within it. Right. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that it's going to resonate a lot with other people that are listening to it. So thank you for your honesty and just your vulnerability and willingness to share it with me and everyone who's listening. 
it's an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to go from like super heavy. Like want to cry <laughs> nonsense. Um, to like just lighthearted and fun. So I always ask yes. um, my guests their read, watch, listen, follow. So let's go through that. Uh, yes. What are you reading these days? It can be a book, a blog, an article, whatever. So right now I'm reading The Cozy Minimalist Home. And that's by Michaelin. I think it's, I, I have a hard time pronouncing her name, but it's Michaelin. Yeah, Michaelin. Michaelin. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. So I love The Cozy Minimalist Home right now. I'm midway through it. Um, I enjoy it because it's very actionable and it gives me different things that I can work on throughout my house because as a mom of three tiny humans, it's really nice to have those little actionable tips to keep my house nice and clean and decorated um, in a way that is minimal. And I also have been rereading the Magnolia story because I'm a Chip and Joe freak and I just am obsessed with them and I want to be their friends. And so, and I found a lot of inspiration from it the first time I read it when it first came out. And so I'm just dipping back into there again. Did you go visit, um, like the Magnolia market when you guys lived in Texas? Have you been there? Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it is a must. It's so much fun. Um, the whole time I was trying to find Joanna. Yeah. It was kind of like a where Waldo, but like where, where is Joanna though? I was trying situation. to find her though, <laughs> and her mom was only the one there. <laughs> yes. And I've heard she's super sweet. Like she'll take pictures and yeah. she'll, I, I didn't get lucky enough to see her mama. But yes, I've been there. I plan to make a trip there again soon. I love her so much. I want to read the Homebody book. I'm sure you're seeing a trend there. Yes. <laughs> Decor, <laughs> minimalism, Chip and Joanna games. <laughs> I, I love it. Okay, is there anything that you're watching these days that you want to talk about? Um. <laughs> This is going to sound totally lame, but I don't watch TV much. Um, when I do watch TV, like when I have a moment and I'm not spinning all over the place, I like to sit down and watch This Is Us. Love that. And because who doesn't like to cry for unnecessary amounts of time? <laughs> I love This Is Us so much. I watch it a ton. I just feel like their characters are super relatable. And I mean, Jack Pearson, though, his, I mean, he's just the man. So good. I love him so much. Funny that you said about like crying because I have a girlfriend and she's like, I just can't watch that show because why do I want to cry the whole time? Like, and I'm like, yes. I'm like, I love it. A good cry. That's awesome. Like, I mean, sign it's me funny because I'm, <laughs> I'm not a super, I mean, I talked about super heavy stuff, but I'm not an overly emotional person, but that show, I mean, I'm just like your friend. I'm basically bawling throughout the entire thing. I've always got like this lump in the back of my throat and I'm like, it's so sweet. Oh my gosh. The whole time. Or, you know, I was completely heartbroken when Jack passed away and I wanted him, but I'm so glad that they keep bringing him back mm -hmm. and his love story with Rebecca with Rebecca is unreal. I'm just like, man, 
these people are amazing. And they raised amazing human beings. They're dysfunctional human beings. And totally. (laughs) Right. Valid. I'm very invested. Maybe this is why I don't watch TV because I'm overly invested in these people. I don't even watch it. Right. I know. Right. Okay. Is there anything that you're listening to lately that you love? Um, so I listen to music constantly. I'm a worship music person 24 seven. Um, my kids listen to, I think it's called the Bible album and it's really fun. And they listen to that constantly. (laughs) My kids know the words to that. And I love listening to podcasts a lot. I recently listened to yours. Thank you. I listened to your lunch. And I also listened to, there's two of them that I listen to frequently, like every time there's a new episode. And it's the Ali Kazaza Purpose Show. Mm-hmm. Good one. Love her so much. And the Crappy Christian podcast is a newer one. Ooh, I've never heard of that one. I'll have to listen. Yes, it's so good. Okay. Anybody that you are following that you feel like, other people should check out um Ali Kazaza or <laughs> or Blake the girl named Blake who does the crappy Christian podcast she's okay. amazing they're just great I love them I follow them regularly I enjoy their stories and I appreciate that they come on stories with or without makeup and they're just very practical and they give you little little bits of biblical knowledge, just very great people that I enjoy following because, I mean, it's easy for people to be very um, filtered and they're pretty raw and I enjoy seeing that on social media. Yeah, that's good. Um, for those that may not follow you and want to know where they can find you, where can everyone find you out? Tell them about your blog and um, where they can find you on social media. So I have my blog. It's www.spearandarrows.com. Spear is spelled S-P-E-E-R and arrows. Not like and then on Instagram, it's also spear and arrows. Um, but again, spelled S-P-E-E-R. And then um, I also write for three different ministries right now. So I'm writing for Daughter of Delight. I'm a guest writer for them, devotionals. You can find them on Instagram. The Kindred, which is on Instagram. And She is Bold is on Instagram. And I write for all three of those amazing Christian women communities. And it's an honor to just talk Jesus and drink coffee and pour into people's lives. Yes. I love all those things. Same, same. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me for this episode of the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. It's an honor. Seriously. It's amazing. I'm so thankful for even the opportunity to talk a little bit about what God did in that amazing time. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Flourish Together podcast. I want to encourage you guys to head on over to the show notes. And the easiest way for you to find the show notes is through my website. This episode is at andreamworley.com backslash EP04. And when you click on the show notes, you can find 
links to all of the things that we chatted about in this episode. I will have links to the books that Cassandra is reading that she mentioned and everything else. So you don't have to write anything down. You don't have to remember it. Just head on over to the show notes and you guys will be able to see all that information. If you guys have not given the podcast, a rating and review. I would love for you to head on over to iTunes. It's super easy. You just click on the podcast and then click on write a review. I'm going to be choosing a review every single week to read live on the show. And if your review is chosen, I'm going to send you a special uh, Starbucks gift card in the mail. So coffee will be on me the next time. Thank you guys again for listening, and I will see you next week.